We can turn to John chapter 21. And the title of the message is, Jesus said, follow me. And I just want to share briefly a few of the things we're going to consider this morning as we look at John chapter 21. You know, Jesus has called each of us as believers to follow him. When we first came to faith in Christ, that was what was taking place. We were being called to follow him. And, you know, that's how our walk started, and that's how it is today. No matter how many years are passed since that call was answered, it's still the same today. We're called to follow him no matter how many years have passed. And along the way of following him, there's, we are going to need his grace. And we're going to see that today in John chapter 21 as well. And then lastly, the way the path looks for you is going to look different than it is for the person next to you and the person across the aisle from you and all around you. The path looks different. And we're going to see the challenge that Peter had to work through um, in hearing that from the Lord in regards to his life and wondering about, well, what about John? And so we're going to look at that as well this morning. So John chapter 21 is the last chapter, obviously, of John's gospel. It's the last insight that John gives to us of the life and ministry of Jesus on earth. Um, This chapter records the third time uh, that Jesus appears to his disciples as a group. Um, There are many other appearances. The the two men on the road to Emmaus and some of the women also saw Jesus after his resurrection. But this recording here is the third time it was the disciples as a whole. Um, Not complete whole in this case. There are seven of them. Not all 11 are there. But uh, this is, as John will tell us, the third time that this is recording that he appeared to them. So this takes place, uh, John 20, 26 was John's recording of the second time he appeared to them. And that was when, uh, the second time was when Thomas was now with them. The first time he appeared to them, Thomas wasn't present. And we know the story of Thomas, him doubting. It's like, I won't believe unless I see and touch for myself. And so Jesus appeared a second time to them, and that's recorded in John chapter 20. Um, and, you know, that recorded there, verse 26, it lets, in, uh, lets us know that it took, eight, took place eight days after the resurrection. So what's recorded for us in John 21 took place after that. So at least eight days to 40 days. We know from Acts chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus appeared over 40 days to the disciples. And so John 21 is somewhere in that window of between 8 and 40 days. We don't know exactly, but we know it's in that window of time. Let me begin here by reading uh, the first five verses of John 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. So this takes place, as John tells us here, in Galilee. Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. That's where they're at. Just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And so they're there at the Sea of Galilee, and Peter decides to go fishing. Now we'll say, you know, them being in Galilee 
was out of obedience. The Lord had told them to go ahead and go to Galilee and that he would, meet, he would come meet them there. And so Mark 16, 7, that's mentioned. In Mark 16, 7, we see him tell them to go ahead and go to Galilee. So in that regard, they were being obedient. They were where they were supposed to be. But I want to put forth the idea from this passage, though, that I don't think they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And I'm going to give you my reasons for that as we dig into this a little bit. Not everybody agrees. Some thinks they were just passing time. But I feel like they were being disobedient. You know, they weren't doing what the Lord had called them to do. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong, obviously, with fishing. Nothing wrong with the trade of being a fisherman. You know, and, it, but it wasn't what the Lord had called them to do. It wasn't what the Lord had for them. And let's look here at Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read from uh, verse uh, 16 through 18 of Matthew 4. And this is the initial call for the disciples. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They said, then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw the two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and their father and followed him. So what was the problem? Well, with what they're doing now in John chapter 21. Well, I think the problem was, as Jesus, as we can see there in Matthew, had called them to be fishers of men. That was what he had called them to do. And you can say, well, that was at the beginning, right? That was near the beginning when Jesus first called them. And so, you know, what's wrong with them going fishing? Well, I think to me even more clearly is uh, what Jesus says to them after the resurrection. And John uh, chapter 20, verse 21. Now, this would be the first appearance of Jesus to the, to the disciples as a whole, all 10 Thomas not being there, Jesus says, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so he's telling them, I'm sending you out. I called you to be fishers of men, as I've been sent by the Father, I'm sending you, and you're to go, and you're to be a fisher of men. And then in Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 16, again, after the resurrection, and this I believe is probably in the second appearance to the disciples with Thomas being present, which is also recorded in John chapter 20. But Jesus here says to them, later he appeared to leaven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And so, Jesus is after the resurrection, and he's reconfirming, I've called you guys to go be fishers of men. I've called you to kingdom work, to a responsibility, not to go back to fish, because that's not what I've called you to do. I've called you to go and to, to take the gospel to the world and to be a fisher of men. One commentator says this about this. It's accordingly the idea that Peter, for the time being at least, had given up his kingdom activities and a return to his former occupation cannot be entirely dismissed. And does not John 16.32, and I write that down if you're taking notes, John 16.32, and just I encourage you to go back and meditate and think about that and its relation to it. He says, implies that in the decision to resume the former occupations on a full-time basis and to give up the idea of vigorous kingdom endeavor, 
he had been joined by the others. So Jesus kind of said, you guys are going to depart, you guys are going to leave me, is what he says there in John chapter 16. And it's kind of sounds like, go back to your homes, is, is what is indicated in that verse. And the idea being that this commentator is saying, going back to the old life, to what, where they were before. But Jesus had given them a mission. Just as he had been given a mission by the Father, he again now has sent them on a mission to take the gospel to the world. Um, The mission for them did not involve returning to their life as fishermen. You know, it did not involve going back to that. Now, I will say, you know, sometimes the Lord will call us, you know, to follow him. And part of that call will be for us to stay where we're at. And to do what we've been doing, only now with a kingdom focus, right? But for them, that was, wasn't what God had for them. They were no longer to be fishermen. And that's why I feel like there's this futility that we see here. And if you, uh, verse, the last half of verse 3 through verse 5, we see that, the futility that's there. We see that they worked all night, verse 3 says. They worked all night and they caught nothing. They had nothing to show for their labor and for their work. Then came the question from the shore, (laughs) the question that every fisherman hates to hear, especially when you have not caught anything. How did you do? (laughs) Do you have any fish? And they had to answer simply, no, we have no food. We we have nothing. And so there is, again, I think this futility there because they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were going back to their old life, and they were fishing. And even a few of them, as best we know, weren't even fishermen that were with Peter uh, but anyway, they're following Peter. They're, going to do, they're doing what Peter uh, suggested they do. And so at this point in the story, you know, the disciples don't recognize that it's Jesus talking to them, you know, from the shore. Now, whether it was the distance, they were about 100 yards off the shore, it's told here. And so uh, that made it a little hard. Maybe it was the mist and the haze of the early morning by the Sea of Galilee. They couldn't quite make out who it was, but they didn't know who was calling out to them. Um, but at any rate, he does. He calls out to them and asks them the question, which he already knew the answer to. They didn't have anything. You know, their nets were empty, and, and the Lord knew that. And, um, and so Jesus, I think, here was trying to teach them a lesson. You know, when we're not call, doing what God has called us to do, you know, there can be a lot of hard work. We can work hard, but we can end up with empty nets, Nothing to show for the hard work because we're not doing what the Lord has called us to do. One commentator on this said, they had failed to reckon sufficiently with God's plan for their lives. It is as if he he were saying, Jesus was saying to them, you have caught nothing at all, now have you. Without me, you can do nothing. Please learn that lesson once and for all. And so the Lord was, I think, continuing to teach them here that, you know, you need to be a busy about my kingdom, doing what I've given you to do, and as such, I will take care of you, and I will, I will bless. There will be blessing. You know, <clears throat> I don't think they were out there fishing because they wanted to go have fun. <laughs> I mean, this is hard work, and so I believe they were out there fishing because they needed resources, right? They probably needed food. They needed maybe to sell the fish to have some money for their family, um, and that's what they were familiar with, and that's why they were, you know, at least Peter, James, and John, that's why they were back out there doing it again. But I do want to point out in this, though, and I think it's a lesson for us today, is that if that's the case for them, this applies to them and applies to us, a need in our life does not negate the call Jesus has given us to follow him. 
And so if I lack something or you lack something today, that doesn't mean we're supposed to set aside the call that Jesus has for us to follow him and go fill that need. What we're to do is to follow him and trust him to take care of us, trust him to provide, trust him to supply what we need and what he wants us to have. You know, we can be very good, I think, at rationalizing the way, away the call of God upon our lives. We can, you know, go all through mental gymnastics and say, well, I don't know that he really said that to me, and if he really said that, I would have this, and it wouldn't be like that. And you can go on and on and rationalize the call of God away and justify uh, that you need to do something else. But you know what God's called you to do as a believer. And if you don't, I encourage you to, to to find out because he's called you to something. We're all called to follow him. But how that looks is different for each of us. And so what has he called you to do? And if you know what he's called you to do, are you doing what he's called you to to do? Or are you occupying yourself with other things? Maybe going back, you know, to your old life and to where you were before the Lord found you. Um, Peter knew that Jesus had called him to follow him and to be a fisher of men. Yet again, we see that he's going back to his old trade of fishing. Um, and, you know, another point here is that no matter the years that have passed, you know, in our lives since we first answered the call to follow Jesus, or the circumstances that have come along the way, we're still called to follow him. I mean, and that is, again, the point that I want us to see mainly from this passage is that we're still called to follow Jesus, no matter how many years have passed since we first answered the call. You know, one of the things that I think we all appreciate very much about the Lord is his graciousness, and we're going to look at that now. You know, the, the second point here is gracious provision and reminder, and we'll see that in verses 6 through 11. Let me read those. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord, Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they came to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish. 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. So the first part of the gracious provision I think we see here is found in, uh, verse, in these verses 6 through 8, and that's a full net. The disciples have a full net. And, you know, what's interesting about this is that they still didn't recognize it was Jesus, and yet him calling to them from the shore and saying, why don't you put your net on the, the, other, the right side of the boat? And there'll be some fish there. And what's interesting, them being seasoned fishermen, is that from what we have here, they just, they did it. And so why would they respond not knowing it was Jesus? And, you know, we don't know, but perhaps it was the tone of his voice and the authority with which he spoke to them. That they, that they's like, okay, well, we'll, we'll do that. We'll cast our, our debt to the other side. <clears throat> One commentator says this about, and this is Warren Wearsby. He says, the difference between success and failure was the width of a ship here. You know, it's just, he told them to cast on their side. He goes on to say, we are never far from success when we permit Jesus to give the orders, and we are usually closer to success than we realize. And so it's right there 
but they had to obey. They had to uh, uh, trust what the Lord was telling them. Again, I know they didn't know it was the Lord at that point, but they still had to follow through. They had to obey, and there was success. Now, a very similar thing to this had happened to Peter, and James and John witnessed it, and that's recorded for us in Luke chapter 5. Early on, when they first met Jesus, Peter had been fishing all night, and they had caught nothing. And Jesus was teaching, used to, I think, used a boat to teach, and then told Peter to push back out and cast his net in. He's like, we fished all night. We haven't caught anything. But nevertheless, at your word, we'll do it. And so they did it, and that's when they caught, I think it was two, two boats full of fish they caught at that time. And so this is a very similar miracle, and that's why John says it's the Lord. You know, John knew right away, this is not just somebody from shore. This is the Lord that we have, have a net full of fish. And so <clears throat> they come ashore, and when they come ashore, they find the second, I think, gracious provision. The first was to be in the net, and secondly, they find here a prepared meal, and we see that in verses 9 through 11. You know, remember, again, they had been fishing all night, so they would have been tired, right? They'd have been weary and hungry from the work and the toil of being up all night fishing. And what do they find when they get to shore? They find a fire and a meal waiting for them that Jesus had prepared to give and to share with them as, as his disciples and his care for them. You know, I love in verse 10 what Jesus says. He says, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And, you know, this is one of those uh, times, there's many in the Gospels where I would love to hear the tone, you know, of how things are said. It'd be fun to be able to hear. How was that said? What did it sound like? Me, I have the feeling that there was a little bit of, you know, sarcasm kind of in it, like, bring the fish you've caught. It's like, well, did they catch them? Well, yeah, they threw their net over there, and they did bring them up, but it was Jesus who provided them for them. It was him who had supplied them. And, and then, you know, so many, and we have the record here, there was 153 large fish is what they had after pulling the net in. So Jesus here has given them, again, I think has been given them grace. Like he's blessed them with a net full of fish. He's now provided a meal for them. And these are gracious provisions because, again, you know, I don't feel like they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were busy kind of doing their own thing. And yet Jesus blesses them. He shows them grace. And as I mentioned at the beginning of our study you know, that's a reminder that we need to have today, is that Jesus shows us grace as we follow him. And every one of us, me included, needs his grace every day because we all fall short in following him. We all get distracted at times and fall and stumble and sin, and yet Jesus is ready and stands ready to be gracious to us and to show us grace. And I think that's what he's showing the disciples here, is he's showing them grace. And then <clears throat> point number three here is found in verses 12 through 14. And let me just read those. But this is an invitation to fellowship here in verses 12 through 14. It says, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. <clears throat> this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so we see Jesus here invite them to come. Come and eat. Come and share this meal with me. Come and fellowship is what Jesus was saying to his disciples. 
And because, you know, in Eastern culture, as in many cultures around the world, sharing a meal is a big deal, you know, and it's an intimate time of, of coming together and sharing that food with one another, and it's fellowship, and that's what Jesus was wanting to have here with his disciples. And again, even in that, it's the grace of God, right? That they weren't exactly doing what they should be doing, and yet he wants to fellowship with them. He wants to have this time with them and to speak into their lives and to just be with them. Um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things, and uh, I'll just point out too about verse 12, um, I don't know if you caught it, but um, you know, it says that um, they said about the disciples that none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. In the original language, it even sounds a little more confusing than that. And I just want to read what one commentator has to say about it. It says, the second half of the verse is finely balanced, a balance that must be respected if the mood of the text is to be preserved. One might ask why, if the disciples knew it was the Lord, they would want to ask him, who are you? But the evangelist does not really say they did not ask him. He says they dared not ask him, knowing it was the Lord. This is not the same reticence as exhibited by the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who were kept from recognizing him. These disciples knew it is the Lord, yet are still so uneasy, so hesitant, so uncertain, that they apparently long to ask him, in effect, is it really you? You yet dare not do so. And so that's what's kind of being conveyed there in that verse. I mean, they're still walking through this thing of like, He's here, we know it's him, but we just, is it him, you know? And just the, the fact of the resurrection, you know, they're, they're still understanding all of this. And, you know, us looking back hundreds of years later, we understand that it was Jesus. He had risen from the dead just as he promised, but they were still struggling at times of fully understanding all that had taken place. Um, so a lot had changed, right, since the last time they shared a meal with Jesus, you know, the last time, if you might remember, is that it recorded for us in John chapter 13 uh, and 14 is there at the Last Supper where uh, they shared the Passover meal uh, with the Lord. And so a lot has happened in, since then to now, right? They'd had some failures along the way. All of them had. You know, Peter's is the most obvious because he had proclaimed he would never deny the Lord and he had, but they had also forsaken the Lord. And they had failed and they had doubted. And so now <clears throat> they're back here with the Lord and he is again inviting them to come and to fellowship with him. I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 3 verses 19 and through 20. And this is a, a, the letter of Jesus to the church of Laodicea, of him speaking to that church. And he says to them there, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That's our Lord. Is he wants to have fellowship with us. He desires for us to be close to him. And what's interesting about the church of Laodicea, their sin was they had became, become self-sufficient. They were, they were full of themselves. They think we had everything we need. We don't need the Lord. And so the Lord was now on the outside and he's knocking <laughs> You know, let me come in again. Let me have fellowship with you. And this is what the Lord wants for us. He wants to have fellowship with us. You know, he doesn't excuse sin, just as verse 19 of Revelation 3 says, it says repent. 
And when there's sin in our lives, it needs to be repented of. But he doesn't hold us at arm's length after that. He says, come, come and fellowship with me. And this is one of the mysteries that I pray I can understand fully more better, because I don't yet. But this thing of the Lord's desire for fellowship with me. You know, why does he so desire to want to fellowship with us? You know, in John chapter 17, in his prayer to the Father, he said, this is eternal life that they may know you and the only one you sent. This is eternal life that they may know you and the one you sent. Like, that's eternal life, is knowing him and having that relationship with him. That's what the Lord desires for us. And that's why here, the moment he had the opportunity, he has a meal with these guys. He wants to fellowship with them. That brings us to our next point of restoration and call that we see in verses 15 through 25. And I just want to start by reading the first three verses, uh, uh, 15 through 17 there. And this is uh, the loving restoration of Peter. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So this is the restoration of Peter, you know. Jesus had some unfinished business with Peter um, that he needed to work, walk through with him. And he had plans for Peter. And we're going we're gonna to talk about those plans as we look at these three verses. But <clears throat> Jesus was wanting to restore, that, restore Peter and bring him to where he needed to be. And, you know, I want to remind us, I mentioned it earlier about Peter, but from Mark chapter 14, verses 27 through 31, is directly related to what's taking place here in John chapter 21. And this is the account of of Peter and his bold claim. It says in verse 27 that Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. So, and as we know, when it came time, he did exactly what Jesus said he would do. He denied that he knew the Lord. He denied him three times. And so that is the context here of what's going on between Jesus and Peter And I think why, well, you know, Jesus asks him three times because Peter denied him three times. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But I want to begin under these verses just to talk, first of all, about what is the these there. In verse 15, Jesus asked, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? So what is the these that Jesus is referring to there? And obviously, you know, we weren't there to know where Jesus pointed when he said this. Peter knew what he was referring to, but we don't. I think there's two possible, and I'm going to give the reason for why I, the one that I think it is, but I'll just tell you to be Bereans and go study the word for yourself. I'm not giving you, I'm not being dogmatic about it, but I have reasons for why I believe what it is, and we're going to talk about those. But, so what are the these? Well, the two options 
are one, it's the other disciples who were present with him. You know, do you love me more than these? Uh, is, is what Jesus was asking him. The second option is, do you love me more than the fish and all that goes with that, the gear, the boat, the net, all this. In other words, I think the old life, the, the life that you had before. Um, the reason that many think it was the other disciples is because of the context of his claim when he denied the Lord, right? Where he was there with them all, he says, I, they may all deny you, but I won't, won't do that. And so that's why a lot of, one of the reasons why a lot of people believe that Jesus is referring to the other disciples. Um, and because, again, he did that in front of them all. I personally believe that Jesus is referring to the fish here and the gear because of the context of John chapter 21 is one of the reasons. Um, but also, it seems to me that if Jesus is referring to the other disciples, he would be kind of pitting them against one another, you know, with one claiming, well, I love Jesus more than you love Jesus. And I don't see the Lord doing that. I don't see the Lord pitting his disciples against one another and having them compare their love for him against one another's love for him. Uh, you know, 2 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says this, for we do not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So Paul there saying, it's not wise to be comparing yourself to, to another believer. That's not what we're to be doing. So that's kind of why I don't think Jesus was asking Peter if he loved him more than the disciples. I believe it's because of what Peter was back doing. Jesus found Peter back fishing. You know, back doing what Peter was familiar with and comfortable with. You know, Peter was in his element there on the Sea of Galilee. That's what he had grown up doing. That's who he was. He was a fisherman. And so he's back doing that. And so I believe Jesus is challenging him here. Do you love me more than this? More than what you're familiar, what you're comfortable with, your old life? Another reason I think that's the case is notice what, how Jesus refers to Peter there in, in verse 15. He calls him Simon. And Simon is his name that he had when he first met Jesus. That was his given name. Peter is the name that Jesus gave him after meeting him and beginning him beginning to follow Jesus. Jesus gave him the name Peter. And so why would Jesus call him Simon? Well, I think it's because Jesus is like, again, Simon, this, that's your old life. Do you love me more than that? Are you willing to truly lay that down and I also think, again, the context, and we'll get to it in just a moment, the further context we'll see of what Jesus is going to tell him about his future and what was in store. That's why for Jesus, he's challenging him here, do you love me more than that? Because you've got difficult things ahead that I'm going to be sharing with you. So we get to the questions and replies that take place here um, between Jesus and Peter. I know, so Jesus asked the question, you know, three times, do you love me? Only in the first time did he say more than these. But for Jesus to ask Peter three times, it had to sting, I'm sure, for Peter. Because Peter, as you might imagine, I think, was still haunted by the fact that he had denied the Lord three times. And I know that had to be on his mind. I mean, because I know that's human nature. How many of us, when we have fallen and failed, what's the thing we're thinking about? <laughs> we're thinking about our failure, and even if we've asked the Lord to forgive us, the enemy's coming back and trying to get us to think on it. And it's hard for us to let go of our failures and to truly believe that the Lord's forgiven the, us of them. 
And so I think that was haunting him here. So this was a painful exchange, I'm sure, for Peter. But, you know, Jesus, I think we know this, but I just want to say Jesus is not trying to rub it in here by asking Peter three times. He was trying to help Peter come to that place of no longer being self-sufficient, of no longer dependent upon what he could do himself. And so the first two times Jesus asked Peter uh, about his love for him, the word for love that's there is the word agape, which is an unconditional and sacrificial love. And all three times Peter's reply, Peter doesn't reply with that word. He replies with the Greek word phileo, which is an affection. I have an affection for you, Lord. And that's what he replies with all three times. And the third time Jesus asked, Jesus uses the same word. And that's why Peter, it says he was grieved. And he says, you know all things, Lord, you know. And so I think what we see here from Peter is we see that he's in a, a much better place, right? Because there's no, no boasting any longer, no, no great claims to how great his love is and how undying his love is and what he can do. It's just simply, Lord, I have affection for you. And I think in his heart he wanted to be able to say he had the kind of love that Jesus was asking him of. But he knew he couldn't do that. He knew his, he knew his limitations now. And, he, and instead of boasting about what he can do or comparing himself to the other disciples, he just simply trusts himself to the fact, Lord, you know. You know I love you. And, and I believe, and the Lord obviously was satisfied with that answer. You know, the answer that Peter gave. And just, because he had been brought to that place. So again, dependence on the Lord. And it was no longer Peter and what Peter could do. Um, and, you know, something else I think that's important about what was taking place here is that um, Peter and the others needed to know that Jesus had not written them off. You know, Peter was the one being directly dealt with here. But for them to see Jesus restoring Peter had to bring great encouragement to them because they also knew that they had ran away when it, when it got tough. They had fled. And so for them and for Peter... They need to know that Jesus wasn't done with them. And so this whole encounter was a, a counter of great encouragement for them and, and to go on in what God was calling them to do. Um, so, you know, we've seen in this account, right, the provision of the fish, the provision of the meal, all these gracious things and the desire the Lord has to fellowship. Now in these verses 15 through 17, though, we also see Peter's specific call, the call that God had for him. And we see that in two phrases there in those verses that Jesus uses. He tells him first, feed my lambs. And then he says to him, tend my sheep. And then verse 17, he says, feed my sheep. Jesus was giving to Peter the responsibility to care for the body of Christ. He was giving him responsibility to feed them the word of God to watch out for them, to care for them, to protect them, to lead them, was what the Lord was giving Peter the responsibility of. But this was, a grace, this was the grace of God also at work in his life. And I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, and then verses 11 and 12. There Paul says, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so uh, each one of us are given the grace of God and the gifting that God gives us. It's the grace of God at work, and that's what was at work here with Peter in verse 11, he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
And so again, this was the grace of God at work in Peter's life. Peter didn't deserve to be given this responsibility of caring for the sheep. He had proven his own weakness and his tendency to fail, but this is a grace of God. The Lord's grace was at work, and he wanted to use Peter. He had a purpose for Peter. And so I want to ask you this morning, you know, what has the Lord called you to specifically? You know, what is the thing that Lord has placed in your hand to do? And no matter what it is, it's a grace of God in your life. It's the grace of God that I'm up here teaching a Bible study. You know, it's God's grace. It's not what I would have imagined I would ever be doing, but here I am doing it. And it's the grace of God, and it's the grace of God wants to work in your life too. And there is no, and now hopefully, the other thing I want to convey here is that Peter was called to this responsibility, yes, but he, his wasn't more important than anybody else's. It's not more, there's not degrees of importance in the, bodies of, in the body of Christ. Every one of us have been given a grace and a call to follow him, and we just have to live that out and follow it because that's what the Lord has for us. So it brings us to the next point here is follow me. And we see that um, in verses 18 through 25 of John 21. And I'm just going to read those. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Then this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to them, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So we see here the first point in verses 18 and 19 of this section is the cost for Peter. Jesus gives Peter further insight. He's restored him now. And he gives him further insight into what the price he would, would be that he would have to pay in following Jesus. And he tells him that he's going to die as a martyr. He's going to die um, for the glory of the Lord. And that, that is what his end is. That is what's going to happen to him in the future. Um, and he would have the opportunity again to glorify the Lord through that. But I love, <clears throat> you know, this is sobering news. You know, imagine if you were sitting there and you were Peter. And he's just told you of how you're going to die. That you're going to die a martyr's death. That you're going to suffer. And, what, and then imagine hearing the words that Jesus ends that with. He simply says, follow me. Now, only Jesus could deliver that kind of news and then follow up with that. Because only he has the authority. And only he's worthy to be followed to such an extreme. But Jesus didn't have a problem saying, after giving him that news, follow me. Now that verb there, follow, in the Greek is a present active imperative. In other words, it's something to be presently happening all the time. 
It's supposed to be actively going on in your life, and it's a command. It wasn't a suggestion to Peter, and it's not a suggestion to us. We're supposed to follow the Lord. And that word follow means to move behind someone in the same direction or to come after. And so it's not a passive thing that Peter and, we, and us are called to. We're called to come after Jesus, to follow him, to pursue him. And this is what Peter, again, here is being commanded by the Lord to do. And, and what he, the Lord has said, despite what's ahead, I want you to follow me. I want you to run after me. Now, follow me, we, be, we read early on, um, back from, I believe it's the Gospel of Mark, in our study of, you know, when he called them to be fishers of men, he said, follow me. So follow me then was the earthly follow me and learn, because they were going to get to follow him. Now follow him meant he, he was leaving, and so they weren't going to physically see him anymore, but they were still being called to follow him. And that's where, again, we are today, is in the same place Peter was about to be, in the place of following Jesus, even though we don't physically see him. And so follow him means to model our life after him, right? To live life the way Jesus lived life. But also follow him means that he's got a will for our lives. And he has specific things that he's going to have for us that he doesn't have for other people. And so we're going to talk about that here as we come to the next point. That's the challenge for Peter. This is the challenge for him. So he's found out he's going to suffer. Jesus tells him, though, follow me. And Peter and Jesus are now walking along. And Peter looks back and sees John following. And Peter look, looks at him and, and then back to Jesus and says, well, what about this man? What about him? And, you know, we don't know for sure why Peter asked that question. But I think Peter was, though, was looking for some solace, you know. He had heard some bad news, and he wanted to know, is he going to have it as tough as I have it? Is it going to be as difficult for him as it is going to be for me? And I think Jesus' reply was probably not what Peter hoped for. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. And so let's take a moment just to look at what Jesus' reply. And I got three, three things from it. First, Jesus replies with, if I will. Jesus' will for Peter was different than his will for John. And... I think that's made very clear in this. And this is true for every one of us. This applies to all of our lives here today. His will for you in following him is different than my will for me in following Jesus. Some of us, and there's a whole many ways we can apply this and look at it, but I'm just going to name a few. Some of us may have physical challenges that others don't have. We may have health issues that others don't have in following Jesus. Some may have financial and material challenges that others don't have. And, and some may struggle in that area. Some are called to do things for the Lord, listen to this, to have an appearance of being more important than what others are called to do. Again, an appearance, because no matter what we're called to do for, by the Lord, it's all important. And it doesn't matter whether it's something out open that everybody can see or whether it's something behind the scenes, it's important. But these things can cause us to stumble. Some are called to greater suffering than others. And that's what Peter was being called to here. He was going to have to suffer and die as a martyr. And he's struggling with that. And all of these can be opportunities for us to be jealous of others. And our culture really drives at this probably more ever than it ever has in human history. right? Because you know social media 
right? What are you seeing? You're seeing what other people have. You're getting a snippet of their life, and it can cause you to be jealous. And we can get mad at God. It's like, this isn't fair. We can cry foul and say, why do I have to be, have this? Why does my life have to be like this? And the answer is, unless it's sin that's caused that thing to be in your life, it's just, that's God's will for you. That's God's will for me. And so that's what Jesus is telling Peter here. It's like, if I will that John doesn't die, that's okay. Because that's my will for him. And so, but you, Peter, he goes on to say to him, his follow-up at the end of this is, you follow me, but I, I get ahead of myself here. It's just, the second thing is, what is that to you, right? Jesus says to him, the things that others have should not concern you and me, no matter what they are. What others have is none of our business, none of our concern. What we have is what the Lord wills for us to have for, in our lives, and we need to be content. You know, Paul in Philippians 4.11 said this, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And Paul acknowledges there he had to learn that lesson. It didn't come natural. He had to learn it. And I have to learn it. And you have to learn it. That we have to be, learn to be content with where God's placed us. And what God's given to us in our hands. And get our eyes off of what others have in their situation. Because I don't know about you, but I know for me, I have enough in my hands to worry about me and what God's given to me to do and following him that I don't have time to be worried about what other people have. And all that is is simply a distraction from the Lord's purpose for our lives. 1 Timothy 6.6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. There's great gain with being content. And again, the world we live in today, it drives at us being uncontent and dissatisfied. But we as believers, we get to rest in the fact that I'm in God's will. I'm, I can be in his will. I can be in his hands. And what I have is what he has for me. And he, what he says to Peter after again saying this is, you, now it gets personal. And so just follow me. He says to Peter, you follow me. You follow me, Peter. Don't worry about John. Don't look at what John has or what's going to happen to John. You worry about following me, is what Jesus said to him. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We each have a cross that we have to take up in following Jesus. And I think even in that, he says, it's personal there, his cross. What is your cross? What has God called you to? And you, have to, you and I have to take up that cross and we have to follow. So how do we do that? I think Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, write this down. We don't have the time to, to turn there and look at it this morning. But there, basically, the author tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If we're going to finish the journey, if we're going to follow Jesus as we're called to, that's where our eyes have to be. They can't be on what, where, where others are at and what others have. They can't be us, again, comparing ourselves and, 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 and being concerned about, you know, our lack of ability or, or whatever. Like, again, our eyes have to be on the Lord, and we have to hear his call, you follow me. And I hope you, this morning that you hear that he's saying this to you and to me, is you follow me. 
And that's what the Lord is calling us to this morning. The worship team can come up, and we're going to conclude here, but, you know, if you're in a relationship with Jesus this morning, it's because he called you to follow him. It's not by mistake or accident that you stumbled upon it. Jesus called you to follow him, if you know him today. And are you doing that? Are you following him? Are you, and are you, as the, the verb implies, are you going after him? And perhaps today in your life, failure has caused you to go back to the old life. You've stumbled along the way and you've just given up. Well, the good news today is Jesus is still calling you to follow him. He's not giving up on you. He just wants you to come back to repent and just start following again. Just start following again. And know that around you this morning, as you're surrounded by people that all need the same grace to just follow the Lord. Because there's not a one of us today that haven't stumbled or don't stumble. We all daily need the grace of God. But his call is still the same. It's just follow him. That's what he's calling us to. It's not complicated. It's simple. Just follow Jesus. And I just want to speak for a moment to those today who may be here or listening that have not ever started to follow Jesus. And I want to read to you from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. And hear this. Hear what the word of the Lord says to you. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will, never, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so anyone, if you've never called on the name of the Lord today, you can call on the name of the Lord and you can start to follow him. And he, that's his desire for you. He wants you to follow. So let me just bow our heads and let, let me pray. Father, just thank you for, Lord, your word. Lord, thank you that, Lord, you are the same today, yesterday, and forever. And just as you showed grace, Lord, to your disciples, Lord, you desire this morning to show grace to every person in this room, Lord. No matter where they stumbled along the way, no matter, Lord, where the failure is, Lord, your desire is to show grace. And I pray Lord, that they would hear that, that they would not think, well, that's for someone else. It couldn't be for me, Lord, because it is for them. Lord, your call to each one of us is to follow you. And, and I pray, Lord, if we've become distracted, if we've stumbled and gotten off the path, that you this morning would just draw us back to following you. And I also pray, Lord, that if there's someone this morning that doesn't know, Lord, that has never started to follow you, that they would hear the words, Lord, that they can call it's, Lord, all they have to do is call upon your name, and you will save, and you will allow them, Lord, to start to follow you. And so, Lord, uh, just speak to hearts, Lord.